Hello and welcome to part two of our education series on Engage with Eagle Forum. I'm Glenn McKay, a board member of Eagle Forum, and I'm joined by our political director, Tabitha Walter. Hi everyone. In part one, we introduced you to two educators, Natasha, who is a public school principal, and Frances, who homeschooled her children. If you are a parent, you may currently be deciding the best method of education for your child this fall. So we wanted to present you with two of those options. If you haven't listened to it yet, we encourage you to do so. So now we wanna follow up with some of the big decisions being made by our elected officials and talk about the rights that parents already have. So joining us in that discussion today is James Rice. James is the legislative director for US Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, for whom he has worked since June 2000. That's 20 years, James. <laughs> That's awesome. So in this role, James serves as the chief advisor to Senator Grassley on foreign policy and education matters, as well as overseeing his legislative staff. James' previous professional experience includes positions in the Iowa Senate, an internship with the British Conservative Party, and work on various political campaigns. James received a BA from Drake University with majors in political science and history and an MA in statecraft and international affairs from the Institute of World Politics. He is a native of Davenport, Iowa. James, you have been such a great friend of Eagle Forum for a long time and we're always grateful for your insight and knowledge on legislative issues. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Sure, I'm glad to be here. Well, first, there's a lot of noise in the media in both the mainstream and social media uh, surrounding education and what school's going to look like in the fall. There are so many voices in the mix from elected officials to agency heads to talking heads. So James, will you cut through all that noise and give us the inside scoop? What is actually going on in DC on education? Well, um, in DC, of course, there's the, there's the national discussion about reopening schools. And uh, at the end of the day, that's going to be a local decision uh, made by local school districts, local schools, and of course, parents. Uh, but at the national level, there's, there's uh, a bill being introduced in the Senate today uh, uh, that is going to have funding for schools. And uh, half of that money is specifically for schools that uh, are going to bear extra costs because they're having in-person um, uh, instruction. Um, and uh, so, but again, it's, it's ultimately a local decision, but schools that are going to be offering in-person instruction presumably are gonna have larger costs. Uh, and so that, uh, that's the policy thinking behind at least the Senate Republican proposal. So a big question that I have is, what is the federal government's role in all this? Should parents even look to Congress for ethics? No, I honestly don't think they should look to Congress. Uh, uh, I think this whole um, this whole pandemic has has brought a lot more parents to uh, more involved in their child's education. There are people who are sending their kids to school that are now having to help them with online learning, and they're they're getting to see what they're they're, they're sit in on a, a maybe a, a lesson plan for the first time, or um, they're getting to see what's taught and how it's taught, and they're helping their kids to learn. And so I think it's uh, it's resulting in more parents being uh, more engaged in their children's education, which is a, which is a great thing. Uh, Senator Grassley always talks about how it's, uh, it's really important that parents be uh, fully engaged in, in their child's education. And I think it's also gonna result in um, more demand by parents to have more options at the local level. Not every family is gonna need the same thing. Communities are different, but even within a community, different families are gonna need different things. Uh, 
and sometimes even within a family. I, uh, you know, uh, even before this pandemic, I, I had visited some uh, online public schools in Iowa, which is, um, it's school districts in Iowa that offered an all online version. And because you could, in Iowa, you can open enroll from one school district to another, people anywhere in Iowa could choose to go to one of these two online schools. And I met one family that had one kid that was just not doing well in the, um, in the, in the regular public school and that everything that the, the, the school tried to do to adjust the education to meet his needs didn't work. They found this online school and he's thriving. He's several grade levels ahead, I think in math or something, because you can work at your own pace on these. Uh, but then his brother still goes to the regular public school. And so even within that family, there was different needs. Um, and so I think, you know, you're going to see some parents that really need their kids back in school. My, um, my niece, uh, they found out her public school, she's going to be entering kindergarten, and they found out her public school was only offered two days a week, but she's extremely social. And of course, kindergarten is really hard to do off of distance learning. It's not really mm -hmm. the same thing. And so they enrolled her in the local Christian school because it's offering five days a week. And so, you know, this, this situation spurred them to, to take advantage of the, the choice that they had. Um, uh, and I think increasingly parents are going to demand um, going to demand more options. Maybe they want to do some classes online. I know another uh, another person who has a, a high school senior and she's a, a great self-starter and she learns well online and, and they're, they're more comfortable having her continue to, to work online. And I don't know why we have to have a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, and I'm I, hopefully that this, this situation will result in more parents demanding more options and more flexibility from their, their school options instead of a one-size-fits-all solution. Absolutely. And I, I think that's, it, it's so important that you highlighted the fact that one, parents are um, engaging in more of their rights now, but also they are seeing firsthand of what their children are being taught, which is so important. Yeah. You know, when, when you send your kids away to public school or even a private school that's, that's a physical building, um, there's only so much a parent can be involved in. And um, so it's, it's good to see parents have that firsthand look at, at you know, their children's education. Absolutely. Now, you, you mentioned some of the financial um, fixes that are coming down the line in Congress. Um, can we talk about a few of those that may or may not be in the bill that you mentioned earlier? So financial relief through the federal government, what would that look like? What are some options that um, parents can expect or to even engage on? The bill that's being introduced, it's, it's basically um, additional funding beyond the normal federal funding to, uh, to assist schools in reopening. The, um, the bill as, 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 as proposed uh, would have 10% of that go to help private schools because uh, they are also having um, uh, huge uh, financial uh, uh, problems in, in terms of being able to reopen. But otherwise it would produce, it would the other, um, other than that 10% of the funding, it would be split between um, funding that would go to, to all school districts and funding that would go to school districts specifically that have a reopening plan and need extra funding to make that effective. Um, there is, I, I've heard that Senator Scott is interested in, in um, expanding school choice options um, using federal funding. Um, but of course, there's a limit to what the federal government can do in that school choice is, is you know, it's schooling is mostly a state and local issue. And so the most successful school choice options have been at the state and local level, and there's more scope for that. There isn't a, the constitutional authority to beyond a certain, beyond uh, simply allowing portability of federal funds. Um, and of course, there has always been a, a principle of federal funds that the funding is to serve students. So 
the federal government doesn't fund public schools or private schools, they fund students. Uh, and so the main body of funding is for disadvantaged students and it doesn't matter what school you go to, it's services are available and the same thing with disabled students. Those are kind of the two big pots of federal funding that go out on a normal basis. And they're, they've always been intended to be directed towards students, not towards schools. This CARES package and the CARES too that we're sort of doing these federal relief bills um, are somewhat different in that they're focused on relief for schools themselves that um, that have extra costs to a certain extent. Um, but as far as parents' options, uh, again, it does start at the local level. Parents should be going to school board meetings and uh, and uh, and saying what they expect from their school. Uh, they should be looking at what's available locally. They should be at the state level. Um, you know, there's um, there's a lot of states that have experimented with various types of choice options, um, and they should. You know, those are those are the, the most impactful places. Uh, heck, most people don't vote in school board elections. They um, there there's very low turnout, and so if you if you and, and some of your you know get together a bunch of parents who um, are concerned about something, you can have a major impact in in the, on the, in the school board election. When you were mentioning choice, and you mentioned your niece, who's going to now go to a private kindergarten, I've mm -hmm. seen lots of parents asking, well, what about, you know, our tax dollars are going towards public schools. So is there any kind of talk about a tax credit or anything like that for parents who might choose a method other than public school at this point? Uh, there is always that discussion. Uh, and there are states that, that have that. Uh, uh, Iowa has a tuition tax credit for people who who go to public to private schools. There's there's um, there's other states that have scholarship tax credits, so that you get a tax credit for donating to a private scholarship that then makes um, scholarships available. Uh, fortunately, my niece is, is getting free tuition for the first <laughs> the first year, but my uh, my brother is doing financial planning to to try to make it work so they can keep her in that school going forward. Uh, but not everybody has that option. Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of school choice available, and the uh, and there's more available the more money you make. So, uh, if you have a, if you have a, a good income, you can choose where to live, and you can move to the best school district, uh, or you can also afford to pay to go to private school. But if you don't have that kind of money, you have to live where you can afford to live, and you have to um, uh, you you don't have the resources to send your your, your kid to a, a private school unless you have some kind of scholarship. Um, so there's a discussion at all levels of government about those options, um, and uh, you know, less than 10% of all education funding comes from the federal government. So it's unlikely that you'll see a nationwide program. There's also limits in terms of what the federal government's constitutional authority is, or how much the federal government should get involved. Because sometimes when the federal government does something even with good intentions, eventually that it it it, it turns into something otherwise. And so um, you know, I think that's it. That is mostly a discussion for the state and local level. So one of the the bills that has been passed a couple of times to to renew this bill is called the SOAR Act, and that's a DC specific bill to allow students who live in the DC area to be able to pick the school of their choice based on a, a voucher. And so that means that the money would follow them wherever they go or wherever they choose. And it gives parents the opportunity to have a choice in their education. Now, it's, it's a little controversial because it is a federal program. And so can you talk about the differences in ideology surrounding the voucher issue? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, that 
Act is specific to DC because DC is unusual in that the, the US Congress acts as effectively the state legislature for the District of Columbia uh, 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 because it's a, it's a federal district. And so DC, um, Congress enacted that at the request of, of certain DC leaders um, as a, um, uh, in its capacity essentially as the, if you will, state legislature for DC, not as a federal program per se. Um, and it was, it was at the request of certain DC leaders. And if, if you think about it, the District of Columbia has some of the greatest uh, inequality of, of any place and they've had terrible tr trouble with their, their public school um, quality. And after, after trying things again and again and again, eventually there was there's a sort of uh, overwhelming demand for additional options. So DC has uh, this, there was sort of three components. They put more money in there for the public school system, but they also, they also created this um, DC Opportunity Scholarship Program uh, so that low-income students had the option to go to private schools in the area. And they also um, built up the charter school network. And so there's a, quite a large network of charter schools in DC. So DC does have a lot of options now. And you know, you had a situation where you had very, very poor families in an extremely bad school environment that just wasn't improving. And this was this was something that was seen as necessary by both local people and, and Congress to um, to bring people uh, to give to give these families options that had no options. And and it's sort of not fair to say, well, why don't why don't you stay there and maybe we'll fix the school by the time your kid is is out of the system. Um, you, they need they they needed an op opportunity right away, and it's been very popular in D.C. The, the the scholarships are always oversubscribed, but it is it is something that people have an ideological aversion to. There's um, there's there's certainly opposition to um, having you know. There's the question is does money does the money support the school system itself or is it for the students? Um, uh, is the goal of the, 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 the government to make sure that all students have a, a good education or is it to make sure they have the same education or is it to support the school system itself? Um, you know, of course, uh, my belief and I know Senator Grassi's belief is that it's ultimately the parents call. Their parent is, is the one who's responsible for their child's education. You can sort of outsource it or you can you can take advantage of different you know, school options, but at the end of the day, it's the parent's responsibility and they, um, uh, you know, they, they should be able to choose what's best for their, for their child. Uh, and uh, as opposed to being told that this is the school that you have to send your, your child to and there's, there's no other options, even if, even if it's a, the school is, 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 you know, has poor quality and, and um, poor academic uh, outcomes. It's interesting. I'm glad you brought up the inequality equation, part of this equation, because sometimes I feel like I'm living in two different worlds. And I have friends saying, you should be homeschooling your kids. And I have other people in my life who depend on school to um, provide security and safety for their children. And, and of course, we wish it wasn't like that, but that's the reality of the situation. Uh, it is not an, op there is not an opportunity for probably the majority of Americans to homeschool their children um, mm -hmm. because of a variety of um, uh, situations. But anyway, I'm glad that uh, Senator Grashley, especially, and many others in Washington are considering that all situations for so many families and that they are adamant about leaving that to the states and localities. And um, ultimately to the parents, because nobody yeah, should be yeah. telling you how best you should school your kid, you know. 
homeschool yeah. worked great for some families and it doesn't for others. And it's, it, you know, you know, it's best for your family and nobody, nobody else does. So it should right. ultimately, there is no one right answer. And I think this okay. is also true with this debate about school reopening. It, it doesn't have to be a, a, a zero sum game where you win or lose, you either open or you don't. Parents should get to decide what's best for their family and what, what form of education is best. Some kids really do need to be in a, in a, in a, in a, in a school setting, at least their parents believe so. And some, uh, some kids are, are do fine in an online environment or, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's new ideas that have cropped up. I heard about there's parents that are getting together to, to sort of, you know, there's already homeschool co-ops, but now there's, there's, there's other, there's people thinking about maybe hiring like private tutors to kind of like in a, resources together to do that of course not everybody can uh, you know can or afford that. to do that right. um, and so that again you know there's there has been a lot of discussion I think uh, across the ideological spectrum about the fact that this situation has resulted in inequalities or at least highlighted them because uh, some kids don't have you know internet access at home and so the idea of just moving to online and, and you, you may have two parents that work and don't have jobs that they can work from home so right. what do you what do you do? Um, and so there are kids that are missing out on education opportunities. Um, you know that's not an easy nut to crack, but I think the the solution always comes down to giving opportunities for parents, as opposed to somebody at any level of government deciding what should work best for everybody and what everyone should have to do. Yeah. One more question on that. Um, I just thought about this. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and um, some parents were talking with a, a pediatrician, and were saying, you know, we keep hearing about because of virtual learning, our kids are gonna be behind. But what are they being behind? What are we talking about? And I remember when we were um, working on the Common Core issue, one of the, the points that we had was that the Common Core standards would result in our children being two years behind in, I believe it was math and science, their international counterparts. So is there discussion in DC, is there a standard that Washington, that our federal government is looking at when we're talking about our children falling behind? You know, what is that standard that we're talking about there? Do you have insight on that? Well, there there isn't a national standard and, and shouldn't be. Common Core was an attempt to kind of create a de facto national standard. And one of the problems when you get back to the issue of uh, parental control is that uh, once every state joined, you, you couldn't change the standards unless every other state agreed. So you sort of locked it into it. And the idea is that parents should be able to, um, um, should have some influence on what's being taught. And, and if you have one standard, even if you think it's great, and then you realize that some other country is doing it better, you don't want to make it so inflexible that you can't change that. So there were states like Massachusetts, I think was famously had really high math standards and had to kind of water them down to meet the common core. There's, there's always, when you're trying to pull everybody together, there's always going to be somewhat of a compromise on that. And so that's why it's best that, that these decisions are made as close to the parents as possible. Um, uh, uh, Iowa was like the last state to, I think, adopt statewide content standards. They had them actually decided at the local school district level. Uh, now we have statewide standards. Um, but, um, you know, at least your state legislature is easier to get a hold of right. uh, than, you know, uh, or at least easier to influence There's a smaller pool of people voting in those elections than it is to try to affect the whole U.S. Congress um, and get them to change things or, the, or, or you know, bureaucrats for that matter. Um, that's often what it ends up. It ends up being bureaucrats that kind of decide these things. So, and that's also the, you know, um, the benefit of having more options. And I think, like we talked about earlier, I think parents are going to increasingly 
demand more options for their children as aside from just you send your kid to school, maybe, you know, with this distance learning, people are getting used to it. Well, maybe I heard about, you know, a parent will say, I heard about, uh, I have a friend who goes to a different school and their teacher is really good in this subject. Why can't I have them go online and get, get education from that? Um, from that uh, uh, teacher. And so maybe they'll want to customize their education more and pick their child's teachers more. Um, so I could see, I could see that developing and that, that, you know, that gets into, you know, what you want your children learning and what, um, you know, I, I think um, standards by definition are standardizing, but some, you know, um, some kids are advanced and they don't, you don't want to hold them to this grade level, this certain grade level standard because they could be several grade levels ahead. So you, um, you want to make sure that you're getting the education that that child needs and the best people to decide that are, are the parents. So there is no objective sense of what's behind. Um, mm -hmm. There are state level standards. And certainly if you're, if you're unable to, um, to learn, you're, you're, you're gonna miss some content and you're gonna fall behind. But what, what's behind kind of depends on, on um, what, where you live and what, what their particular content standards and curriculum is. You know, private schools don't have to abide by the same right. content standards generally. And so if you don't, like, you don't like the standards in your public school, you know, and, and you have the ability to get a scholarship or can afford a private school, that's a, another option parents have. Right. That's good. Well, let's talk a little bit about the data and what the health professionals are saying. I read a piece that uh, former Senator Jim DeMint uh, wrote last week, and his claim is that school closures are actually anti-science. And he makes the point that the strange thing in this whole debate right now is that as the political debate is ramping up, the medical and scientific debate is essentially ending. Of course, you miss that point if you're only watching the mainstream and, and the hysteria on social media, but three points I wanted to bring up and ask you to help us filter through. But first, the, the director of the CDC has said that having the schools closed is a greater health threat to the children than having them open. Senator DeMant also brought up a, a New York Times survey of more than 500 epidemiologists and infectious disease specialists that found more than 70% of them would send their children to school, daycare, or camp immediately, or even later in the summer or the fall. And lastly, even the American Academy of Pediatrics agrees with this. Two infectious disease specialists just wrote a review for the AAP's official journal, where they highlight that after six months of accumulating evidence and collective experience, we can see that children are far less important drivers for transmission of the virus than adults. Therefore, we must seriously consider ways that schools can remain open, even during periods of increased cases, while also keeping the adults safe, yet minimizing the potentially profound, adverse, social, developmental, and health effects that children will continue to suffer as with schools effectively closed until an, a treatment or a vaccine or whatever is developed and distributed or until we reach herd immunity. So in your calculation, how should parents be filtering all of this information as they're trying to decide what to do for their child? Uh, this yeah, time? I think an, an important point is that, you know, um, uh, that there are trade-offs and sometimes, you know, there's, there's, everybody tries to point to their favorite scientists to say what they want to hear. Um, but the reality is there's trade-offs and scientists can't make those. That has to be, you know, that is made both by um, elected officials and ultimately by parents. And so there are, you know, there's some, there's obviously we've heard some of these studies that 
that show that it seems like children are much less likely to catch it or transmit it. We don't know everything there's to know about this virus. And so there's nothing 100% safe. There's no 100% safe option. If parents are worried about sending their kids to school, then they should have they should have other options other than it's an all or nothing. Everyone goes to school or no one does. Um, but certainly, um, there, no one should say that no one should go to school. And each community is going to be different. There may be some some areas that are really heavily hit, and 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 the decision locally will be that we need to um, we need to close down more things. Um, but it's certainly not fair to say that all schools should should stay closed. That's a decision that's made by those schools, and it's a decision by many parents whether to send them there. And uh, I certainly have, I've heard from parents on both sides that they really want to send their kids to school and they want that option. And there's, there's parents who say, I'm afraid to send my kid to school and they should have that choice as well. Yeah, there, there's a lot of pushback from liberals on this issue of choice. And, um, and sometimes that's because of teacher unions. You know, just this week, the Florida Education Association sued the state of Florida over their plans to start school on time and in person. So obviously they are armed and ready to stop any kind of normalcy this year. And I also think it's so easy for these unions to prey on people's fears. So in your estimation, why is that? And how should teachers be engaging on this conversation when, it, when they're hearing the, you know, different voices and the teachers union is so loud? Any interest group has a lot of, um they have influence because they're organized and they're speaking as one and so you can um uh you can have a lot of influence whether that's a um a, a teachers union or or any other kind of organization that's that represents a particular point of view um and the solution is to have um parents or teachers who disagree with that also get together and and express their points of view and 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 be organized um uh, you know, I think it's not fair to say that all teachers have the same view, um, and it's uh, certainly teachers' voices should be, you know, should be should be heard and 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 not just um, just just some, and certainly parents have a have a huge stake in this as well, um, and so they should they should get organized and and make their views heard. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, and I think it's important to note we understand that teachers have different views in that. Um, a lot of them are concerned over the virus, but a lot of them are also concerned over the well-being of their students. Yeah. And that's a hard balance. There's a lot of hard decisions to be made mm -hmm. in that. And so, um, so we really just want to encourage teachers to also work with the parents and, and have more of a, a comprehensive uh, message it, on the local level. And I think that's how a lot of these grassroots movements begin is when people start coming together and having these conversations and figuring out what's best for families in their communities. Mm -hmm. Yep. This has been such a good conversation, James. And I loved how you kept reiterating the point that this should, these should be parent-led decisions um, made by the communities, the localities, and the state. And we shouldn't be looking to the federal government or to Congress or the president whatever that looks like, we shouldn't be looking um, that way for these decisions to be made. We should be making them ourselves. So where can our listeners go to get the latest information on what the Senate's working on or to follow Senator Grassley and you? How can they dive deeper into this issue? Um, well, <laughs> that's a good question. I think um, it's, you know, you can always go to the website of 
grassley.senate.gov or your own senator's website. Um, it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to, uh, to find, you know, the media picks up what they want to pick up and there's often a lot of, uh, lot of things put out there that, that you don't see. Um, so I would, uh, you know, I would go right to the website of elected officials and see what they're saying and, and the information they're putting out and, and you can make up your own mind based off of that. Yeah. Um, there's, um, uh, it's also good to, li to, to look at lots of different news sources and not, not just pick one because they're, um, they don't, um, it's hard to get the full picture from, um, uh, from that, but, um, you know, and I certainly think, uh, Eagle Forum does a good job of organizing and getting information out to, to your members. So, yeah. Well, that's one thing I wanted to encourage our listeners to do. Find the Eagle Forum in your state or education advocates in your state that are working on these issues and see how you can get involved because this pandemic has only um, uh, highlighted and risen to the surface these issues that um, we've been working on for decades. So um, get involved because your voice needs to be heard. Absolutely. Thank you so much, James, for catching us up on the education efforts on Capitol Hill. If you're listening to this episode, please share and give us a rating. You can engage with us in this conversation on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Evil Forum.